Welcome to They That Hope with Father Dave and Deacon Bob, seeing humor and hope in a crazy world. And I'm Bob. And I'm Father Dave. How are you, Robert? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I'm the one in Steubenville, but you're away this morning. I am. I am in lovely Springfield, Missouri, Missouri, Missouri. the show-me state. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about what I'm doing a little bit later, uh, doing a parish mission here, but it's, uh, it's amazing. It's a really wonderful to be traveling and, oh my gosh, there were no masks in the airport. I know, I know. I, I couldn't believe it. I was, yeah. I was like, what? And I guess that happened a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't no, traveled since. No, no, since, no. So. It, it didn't actually. It just happened. It was funny. I flew the first day that there were no masks. So it was uh, coming back from Dallas on Tuesday, last Tuesday. So it's been a little, not quite a week. But it was crazy because yeah. it, it, it was the first morning that it happened and people were kind of looking around. And, and <laughs> I, so I went from Dallas to Chicago to Pittsburgh. And by the yeah. time I got to Dallas, I mean, to Pittsburgh or Chicago, more people were taking off the masks. And yeah. it was funny, even on the plane. So my flight to Chicago, everyone in my row had their mask on. But by the end of the flight, they were like, nobody had their mask on. They, they were done with it. So. <laughs> Was there like a mask? It was like a mask burning outside the airport. It was funny. Know, like... It was funny. The the flight attendant was. She was actually really excited, and, and it's funny because the first oh, thing I bet I, I've flown actually I think five times since that. It's been a lot going on this week. So the first one was you know that there's no longer a mandate. We're so excited, and and then yesterday it was some people are choosing to keep their masks on. So please be kind. And she says, and give them space. It's like, you're on an airplane. Like, what can I do? Give them space. So it was, I don't know. I don't know. If you want to give them space, maybe don't give me like six inches between the seats. Yeah, exactly. 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 We're going to necessarily our fault. I, I remember, do you remember, I'm sure you do, flights that you could use to fly on that had smoking and non smoking sections? Yes, I as a kid. You, I yeah, can that. you imagine that? No, I remember. I mean, the back of the plane, I think, oh, was yeah. the smoking, which is just unbelievable <laughs> if you think about smoking <laughs> in a plane. I actually was flying in Eastern Europe one time, and the left side of the plane was smoking, and the right side of the plane was non-smoking, <laughs> which is just unbelievable. But we're going to have like masked and non-masked flights now. It's yeah. like if you're going to wear a mask, you're going to sit in the last. So it's just it was crazy. But it was really cool, you know, just being in the airport and on the plane, no masks was just hallelujah. It was great. Yeah, I mean, I walked in the airport and I was like, oh, where's my? Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, oh yeah. wait, I don't, I don't think I need it because you know you're right. Some people are and some people aren't, and I think. And that's okay. I think that's actually, there's going to be people that feel like, I'm going to just keep wearing a mask now. And, you know, depending on their immune system or whatever. Yeah, right? and, and you know, honestly. Like if, if, if yeah. that, I mean, you know, in Asia, they do that quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. So, yeah, okay, yeah. great. If that becomes a thing here when people travel, that's that's fine. I mean. Yeah, it was, it was a really kind of a unique, unique situation. Yeah. So, yeah. well, good, good. And you're doing, we'll talk about what you're doing. Uh, so I, yeah. was away, I was away this weekend too. Um, although, I think... Wait, did you, get, did you get to catch any of our son's games? Well, I was just going to say, I think we've, we've cursed them. We cursed them. You know, the second we said they'd become the official team of the Day That Hope podcast, I thought, that's probably not going to be good for them. And uh, sure enough, they've lost. They, like right after we released it, or maybe it was, we, we, had a, we had a little bit of a delay this last time. But uh, Devin Booker pulled his hamstring, who's one of the main players for the yeah. Suns. So now they're tied 2-2 with the New Orleans Pelicans. But you know what? The podcast right. is called They That Hope. And we always have hope. 
And we always have hope. Not in the Phoenix Suns, but in the Lord. But actually, Lord. Was, I was in New Orleans this weekend. It was just, it was wonderful. I was able to be there for a wedding, which was just a, a great, beautiful celebration. And Was there uh, jazz? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was jazz nice. everywhere. Have you been yeah. in the new airport on that note? In, in, it's really, they, they just <laughs> on that built, note, I see what you did there. Oh, yeah, you like that? They just yeah. built a new airport in New Orleans, and they've got in the center place this little place where they're playing jazz. It's really, it's, New Orleans is a strange city. On one level, it's, it's really Catholic, and, but it's got the French Quarter and Bourbon Street and a lot of weird stuff. But it was a great, but the Pelicans are obviously in New Orleans, so everybody there was rooting for the Pelicans. And the right. first night back, the Phoenix, the Suns actually won. So there you go. So there but, you go. But actually, when I was there, I visited the World War II Museum, and I—you said oh. you've not—you've not spent a lot of time in New Orleans. Unfortunately, I haven't, and I didn't even know they had a World War II Museum in New Orleans. Yeah, it's been there about twenty-one years. It's the National World War II Museum, and oh, it's, so it's like a big deal. It's a huge, yeah. But it was really—I mean, it was really powerful. Yeah, it just again to reflect on that time, you know. They show this map, and, and you, you've got Japan, and Japan is is trying to conquer, and, and Germany, and so, I mean, and then there was the United States in the middle, and you see why there was so much anxiety about what was going on. You know, we deal with things today, and I can't, we were fighting two major world wars on two different, in two different theaters, and it was just. Right. Was just, Everybody was drafted. Yeah. I mean, they're either going to Japan or they're going to Europe. I mean, any able-bodied man was gone. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, Here, here's an, just on yeah, that note, crazy. Bob, here's an interesting thing. Uh, I I was just curious because World War II ended almost, what, 70 years ago? 40, 60, yeah, 60, 80, almost 75, 80 years ago. You, you do the math, 1945. Yeah, um, you know I don't do math. But there are less than, again, and I don't know exactly how they do this, but I Googled, you know, how many World War II American veterans are still living? And they estimate there's only about a quarter of a million, about two, I'm going to get emotional, actually. 250,000 and I just I thought of of what you know what that group of you know men and women did and that that part of our history we're losing it you know it's just it was really it was really a powerful it's a beautiful powerful museum but just to pray and reflect about what what took place at that time was pretty remarkable yeah, you know, it. I remember I when I went to Hawaii, I got to visit the Pearl yes, Harbor yeah, Museum, yeah, which yeah. is really an really incredible, moving. Yeah, very, very moving and incredible thing. And you know, you almost you almost long for the the simplicity of of that kind of battle. I mean, at least now maybe this is like eighty years later, but it's so like clear cut. You know, Hitler bad, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, allies yeah. good, um, the world coming together to fight tyranny. I mean, we were an unprovoked attack from Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was, you know, like I feel like you get into so many of the mire of politics and other things. And I mean, again, I would say even, you know, even now with the Russia conflict, at least that is, it, it feels pretty clear cut, right? Like Russia should not be invading Ukraine. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, you just kind of pray for a peaceful end to that conflict. You certainly don't want to get into a, another. World sure, War, sure, sure. you know, like that. But yeah. it's also hard to just be like, can't, can't somebody just like stop them or do yeah, something it, about it? You know, yeah. When I lived, when I lived in in Gomming in Austria for those three years, it also it gives you when you live in Europe, it it gives you a different 
um, perception of war. I mean, because yeah. you know we're, we've been pretty blessed for the most part. The, the world wars and the conflict in Vietnam and all that was Korea was somewhere else. Yeah. But in Europe, it was always there. So every yeah. little town, every little village has their war memorial, and and the you know the fathers and the sons and the daughters and the mothers that were killed, and the, it just. It, it just gives you a different perception. I mean, the history of Europe and the history of the world, I suppose, is could be looked through a lens of war. So, yeah, all of that is to say it's a, it's a wonderful museum. If you're able to go to New Orleans, uh, go there. It's, it's right now down by the French Quarter, so you can go listen. You should go to New Orleans. The music down there the, for the Jazz Fest, you should do that sometime. Yeah, I kind of go where I get gigs. So if anybody listening in New Orleans wants to bring me down to their parish, I'd be more than okay. happy to spend a few extra days there. there you you know, back you know when I was in England, um, you know, getting my doctorate, I visited a few war museums, and it's it's funny as an American, we always think World War II began with Pearl Harbor, and then it was oh, oh wait, no. this was happening yeah. years before, you know, and yeah. you talk about yeah. the Blitz, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean literally, you know, the city being bombed every night. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find it hard to imagine that kind of terror and... Uh, and I forget, the, the, they do a film, and I think mm -hmm. it was like at the museum. In World War II, again, you're right, the United States didn't enter it until 41, but it had been going on for many years before that. They yeah. estimate, I forget what the number was, but I think like 240 million people died in the conflict in those 10 wow. years. I mean, it's just... Wow. That's just a staggering, staggering number. So so thank you to all our veterans. Amen. Uh, Amen. Probably, I don't imagine any World War II vets are listening to the podcast uh, unless somebody's playing it for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, just all of you who have devoted yourselves to the military careers and services and various armed conflicts and other things, uh, just our prayers and our gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we are, deep, we are who we are today gratitude. in America because people were willing to give their lives just like they were. 80 years ago and 100 years ago and all Our that stuff. So, That's great, Bob. Good. Yeah. So what takes you to Missouri? Well, this is a good moment for our Franciscan promo. There we go. Uh, at Franciscan University, we are enthusiastic, not just about forming the next generation of joyful disciples to go forth into the world, but also providing various resources to help renew parish life. Now, one of those great resources is our, our student conferences, in which we hope parishes might be able to come and be rejuvenated and refreshed and educated and empowered to bring that back uh, to their home. But we've started a new initiative where we can bring Steubenville to your parish, and it's called Steubenville Parish Missions. Uh, it's a three-night event where we not only provide a quality speaker and an inspirational musician, but more importantly, uh, we work with you in the buildup of the, uh, in the buildup towards the mission, and specifically the follow-up. Uh, part of what we're really excited about the parish missions are our discipleship quad process in which we, at the end of the mission, try to help people get in groups of four and provide them entirely free resources with which they can continue that mission experience, uh, grow in the characteristics of a disciple, and share the gospel, and ideally bring about parish growth. If you want to find out more about our Steubenville uh, parish missions, you can go to steubenvilleconferences.com slash parish dash missions. That's studentbookconferences.com slash parish dash missions. If you go to studentbookconferences.com, you can just scroll to the bottom 
if the dash and the other thing was too confusing. And you can see parish missions. You can also see Discipleship Quad, um, which is the very thing that we promote at those missions. And that's where I am right now. Uh, I'm in Springfield, Missouri, right. doing a Steubenville Parish Mission. It's really, really cool. I'm having, awesome. I'm having a blast. Yeah, before I came back to the university, I did, you know, I was preaching and traveling full time. And, and I would usually do about five or six, um, maybe more than that, maybe 10 missions a year. And I enjoyed it a lot. It was uh, just to see a parish come alive and to engage them and to invite them to something more is a great, great blessing. So I look forward to seeing how that turns out. Yeah, what I'm really enjoying about this particular model, you know, I've done lots of parish missions and still do. I mean, it's, it's a really fun thing to do. I've never been a part of something like this, though. Like often I'll come in, I'll do a mission, and then I'll leave because I teach full time and I have kids. And, you know, what I, what I enjoy about this vision that the conference office has is, no, we're actually gonna help you prep for the mission, get the word out. We're gonna provide promotional materials. But then the thing I'm really excited is we're gonna do follow-up. We're gonna provide resources for people that went to the mission to be part of a quad and other things. So, you know, I think they're really hoping that, I mean, a, a parish mission can be a cool event but it could also be an opportunity for renewal in the parish. And I Absolutely. like, and you know, like, I, you know, I was even saying, you know, because obviously I might make a little bit more if I'm doing it all by myself than if I'm part of a team, but I'd much rather be a part of a team because mm-hmm. I'm so excited about the fruitfulness of all these talented people working together. And yeah, it's, it's really, awesome. it's really awesome. awesome. But I do love, and you probably have a similar experience, like as somebody that sometimes just goes and gives a talk and leaves, I always enjoy spending a few days at a parish getting to know the staff, getting to know the pastor, mm-hmm. seeing people a few nights in a row. It's really its really a special no, I experience. I agree. I agree yeah. very much. Very much. And you used to do that like in China. You did, you did that all over the world. Weren't mm-hmm. you doing that? Yep. Yep. That types of things. But it really is great. Again, I love the opportunity when you've got somebody in front of you and like a light goes on and they realize mm-hmm. that God has something more for them, that there's something yeah. more than what their experience has been. That's just one of the great, to be a part of that, to... Yeah, it's just one of the great blessings in my ministry. Yeah. It really is. It really, it's really yeah. sacred. It's really, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so Bob, cool. I, I need to make a transition here. Oh, please, um, transition. Your beloved Disney has been in the news a lot. <laughs> All right. So for the record, it's not necessarily my beloved Disney. I, I was a vacation club owner, and I did have to sell it during COVID. And the Lord actually freed me a little bit from a Disney obsession. So that's a, that's a win. But yes, uh, they have found themselves in some particular hot water uh, in the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah, well, but explain, first I've explained kind of what's going on, and then it's just, yeah, explain what's going on. Yeah, I, I can. So, thoughts. and I actually went to, um, for those of you that don't know, I actually went to college in Orlando, and so I spent many years in Orlando and worked in Orlando. So you can't, you can't live in Orlando without being aware of Disney because it really created Orlando. Orlando was just swamp and farmland before Disney showed up. And after Walt Disney built uh, Disneyland, which became immediately popular, what occurred is that uh, lots of restaurants, businesses, other people immediately bought up the surrounding area of Disneyland because they wanted to be close to Disneyland. So Disney had a vision of building a park that you couldn't see anybody else around. And apparently he got employees dressed up as farmers. You couldn't do this today, it'd be illegal. But, um, and they just went and they, they started buying sections of land in Florida until they ended up buying an entire county within Florida. 
And then Disney's like, actually, I own all this. And so they started to build Disney World. But the funny thing about it was it was always its own county. So Disney, the corporation, had governmental authority within the state. And they could do things like, we think our county needs a new road that taxpayers will pay for. And it'll just happen to go right to our theme park. Like they would just do that stuff all the time. I think they even have like a nuclear reactor or something crazy like nice, that. Nice. They would they would generate, you know, their own electricity. I mean, like literally you talk about Disney World. government, right. It, 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 had had it, it was a self-governing uh, autonomous Autom- group right. that was owned by a corporation. And obviously Disney's been such a financial boon for Florida. Um, I mean, it's one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. So... Uh, Florida was always like, okay, you know, even though for years people have been, I mean, even when I was in Orlando in the nineties, there was always people trying to petition the government that this is, you know, a corporation should not be able to own an autonomous self-governing county in our state, but it always seemed to work out okay. And then not anymore. Uh, You know, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis really felt that once Disney was seeming to get aggressive about using its, um, you know, power, financial power, media power, to usurp something governmental in Florida. DeSantis went, you know, that whole like weird corporation self-governing thing. Yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. You're you're not going to be able to, you know, use that anymore as an opportunity to help your business. And so, well, yeah, in a see, lot no. of it, I mean, the the straw that broke the camel's camel's back was the whole. And obviously, you said seemingly aggressive. I mean, Disney's been terribly right. aggressive in the whole right. gay, lesbian, transgendered movement, and and when they're choosing to come out as you know as a company and and get behind, and then also obviously uh, go against what DeSantis had said about some of the he feels that some of the sex ed classes dealing with those topics and. In elementary schools in in Florida is not appropriate, and Disney comes out against him, and so he kind of said enough. But it, it just raises the question about these major, major organizations that have become so woke and and thrusting some of these issues on the patrons that don't want to. I mean, people that want to go to Disney. I mean, granted, I'm sure that there is a population that go there because they're supportive of that, but they're going to go there anyway, right? You know, but. But for other other people who don't who just want to go to Disney and have a good time, and they don't want to be bombarded with their their social agenda that Disney has. You know, I was talking to somebody about this actually just yesterday. They've got a bunch of kids, and and they said they're tired of all the movies that have come out recently for kids. They're all, you know, there's a subtle agenda, or in some of them not such a subtle agenda that yeah. you can't just enjoy a movie. There's always trying to get some political social. That's the that's the frustration. It's like, can we just enjoy movies? And yeah. um, you know, I have no problem. I mean, personally, I don't have a big problem with homosexuals being represented in movies because homosexuals are in our culture. And so, um, you know, if there's a character that's gay or something, it's like, okay. Um, but that's just me personally. It's just this idea of the advocacy of. Mm-hmm. I think I think one of the vice presidents said, you know, we're going to have like I mean, I don't think this will happen. Half of the characters in our movies are going to be of this. It's like, well, that's not even yeah. that's not even tracking with the population. Like that's you know, that's just yeah, and, and you feel like it's starting to become a battle and at the end of the day it's like is this entertainment? You know, like are yeah. we are we can we just be entertained? I'm sure there's enough neutral ground out there 
that we can enjoy ourselves. And, you know, for me, it's a little bit heartbreaking because, and I think this is for many people, Disney's always been family. You know, Disney is watching cartoons with the kids and sitting around. And the fact that there's like now this element of, oh, I don't know if I trust, like now it's like, well, let me watch that Disney movie before I show it to my kids. Sure, sure. You know, oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it's like, why do I even need to be thinking that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's it's frustrating because the, the truth is there's a huge, huge amount of quality, quality, wonderful family-centered content that Disney provides that really nobody else has. I mean, they've got, they've got the market on that. They do a lot of, they have a lot of stuff that's really great family values. And I would say just, you know, still having friends in Orlando that there's still a lot of folks who are in Disney and work for Disney that don't agree with this direction. Oh, sure, oh, sure. I mean, oh, sure, you know, there's sure, storytellers and artists. And so, you know, I also think it would be unfair to say that and everybody in is no, people just, there's a lot of folks at Disney that just want to tell good stories that are family valued, you know, that encourage yeah. kindness and love and happiness and the kinds of values that everyone likes with Disney. So no, I, mean, I don't know. It, and then, you know, it's, it's a political thing, right? Well, I mean, it gets ratcheted up. I, I was going to say that the yeah. reality is that there's not a, um, there's not a corporation, my guess is a major corporation in the United States that doesn't support something I disagree with, you know? So a lot right. of people canceled their Disney subscriptions and that's great. If you don't, if you don't want to do that, that's fantastic. Actually. Uh, I remember when, when the whole gay marriage, uh, against traditional marriage was going on Starbucks came out there and I'm not a huge Starbucks fan but I would get a you know coffee every now and then and the guy comes out and he goes you know this is our mission you know to be able to engage in the gay lesbian transgender world and be socially conscious and be an advocate for that and he said if you don't like it go somewhere else and I think with the exception of once in the last seven or eight nine years I've not gone to Starbucks or paid for Starbucks now I realize that that's probably true with the car that, that you buy and the, some of the groceries right. that you buy and the sodas that you drink and the beer that you drink and the restaurant that you go to. I mean, there's probably every corporation, if you look into it, is supporting something you don't like. It's just That's just part of the reality of, that we live in. But it's also true that if there's something that I'm firmly convicted of that I'm just going to say, I'm just not going to participate. I'm not going to support that anymore. And I think that Disney is going to see. Well, I know they they've already oh, seen they some already of have. that. Yeah, they've and, already and, seen it. And the individuals need to be able to be free to do that. So, yep, yeah. that's my my. But my I think take. you're also right in the sense of it. So, yes, Dave, you know, Father Dave, I think that's an awesome stance. Uh, there are people that live down the street from a Starbucks, <laughs> and that's the only place they can get coffee. I can say, as a as a dad of seven kids, um, it'd be hard to boycott Disney. You know, in that sense. I mean, especially like with my eight-year-old, it's like, no, I actually want him to watch The Lion King. You know, like so. Yeah, yeah. It. I think it's just a. I think what you're speaking to is a. It's a, a real tension. Conviction. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. A, and it's a real tension of people with good conscience. You know, because oh, well, you know what? I'm going to take him to Universal Studios. Oh wait, uh, maybe we just don't do theme parks. And I don't. I actually am saying this out loud without exactly knowing where to land with it. I mean, my hope is for me with the whole Disney stuff, is. I go, I usually go product by product. So for example, like um, Encontro, their latest movie was fantastic. Great family values, wonderful singing. You know, it's almost like, I know you're threatening these things, but if there's a product that I don't like, I won't watch it. Maybe that's me being like waffling. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard. It, everything's so mired in, no, you know, it's no. a similar thing. I remember when... Uh, 
you know, people were realizing who gave money to Planned Parenthood. And it's like, well, I, I'm not going to use that credit card. I'm not going to buy that car. And then you go, oh, my gosh, like I can't shop at the grocery store anymore. You know, and so I don't know. It's, no, it's, and that's where, it's uh, part I, of being I, in the world, I guess. Huh? Yeah. And I realize that, that I don't. It's, it's a decision that I think each individual and each family has to make. It's a decision that I've had to make. There's some corporations that I'm just not going to support. And, mm. and that's, I, I don't expect everybody to do that, but this is what I've come down to. I don't expect everybody to no longer watch a Disney movie. I mean, it's just, it, I think, to raise the consciousness and raise the awareness. And, and, and the other part is just the, that some of these things are very obvious and some of them are very subtle and, and we yeah. just need to be more attentive and aware of it. So that's all there is to say about that. Yeah. Amen. So there. Good. All well, right. well You're what we are doing for off. our, yes, our Easter season and maybe a little bit more than our Easter season. We yeah, didn't really do the math on this. Easter Nobody should be surprised. One. Easter yeah, season plus baby. one. There we go. Uh, we decided that we wanted to talk about the Our Father Prayer. The opening line of the Our Father Prayer is... Our Father who art in heaven. The rest are petitions. There's seven more petitions that we'll get into for the remaining podcasts. But we want to start with that focus because it really uh, sets the tone, not just for the Our Father prayer, sometimes known as the Lord's Prayer because it's a prayer Jesus gave us, uh, but it sets the tone for the prayer, but also the way that we should be praying. And the Our Father prayer is given to us in the context of the Sermon on the Mound. And part of the revelation of that beautiful Sermon on the Mound is this understanding of God as our Father. Um, you know, the Jewish people really didn't refer to God our Father. There, there were some images of God as Father in the Old Testament. Um, that was a very, that was a very unique emphasis, unique contribution that Jesus gave us. You know, when you want to call God our Father, uh, specifically Abba, which is like a not quite Daddy, but a beloved father, mm -hmm. um, an mm -hmm. intimate relationship, a very personal idea, and a familial image that would really resonate, particularly with the Jewish people at the time, but I think resonates throughout all of history. Yeah, and so, I, 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 yeah. on one point, yeah, I think that, that there was something that spoke to the deeper of the heart, but it would also be very um, jarring for them. To, mm. So, I mean, to speak of God in this personal nature as a father, as a daddy, would I mean, that's obviously what gets them in trouble with some of them, is that that's just not something that they were familiar with. But it is primarily the revelation of Christ, that the first person is his father. Yeah, Yeah, and the idea of that type of intimacy uh, yeah. really is such a hallmark of the preaching of Jesus. And you're right, you know, even as we just went through Holy Week, some people would say, like, well, he dared to call God his father. Like, that was, that was like, who, who do you think you are? Like, we don't, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, when Moses, you know, when, when God reveals himself to Moses, he doesn't say, call me daddy. <laughs> he says, I am who I am. They wouldn't even say that name. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so this idea of the apostles come to Jesus and say, can you teach us how to pray? That's, I think that's such a beautiful part of it. Like the gift of the Our Father prayer is given when the apostles see something very different about the way Jesus prayed. And that, I think, sets the tone because the Our Father invites us to pray differently, or it should. It gives us a whole new meaning to a relationship with God that was, at least from that Jewish context, beyond a sacrifice and a ritual and even an obsession about how we might wash our hands or what we might do. And this idea of when you pray, pray like this, mm -hmm. Our Father. 
Um, so that concept of father is so beautiful. And the concept of our, um, you know, the catechism clarifies like that. That's not like necessarily more of a possessive, you know, like it's my father in the sense that there is a universality of God and an invitation that God wants to be everybody's father, mm -hmm. but also in the manner in which we relate to each other, um, you know, this idea of our father, you know, I've, I've spoken a, a bit about ecumenism and how passionate I am about, you know, just praying with other Christians and, and doing what I can to unite the body of Christ. I love this quote from the catechism. It says, for this reason, in spite of the divisions among Christians, this prayer to, and it puts in quote, our father remains our common, retains our common patrimony and urgent summons for all the baptized in communion by faith in Christ and by baptism, they ought to join in Jesus's prayer for the unity of his disciples. And I can say in times when I've been with other Christians, and sometimes, you know, that we listen to different music, certainly any kind of liturgical action is very different. But one thing we always try to do is we try to end with the Our Father prayer. And that really is this moment of just profound unity. Mm -hmm. Like when we pray, mm -hmm. we pray this together. And it's pretty awesome. That's cool. Uh, and, and I was always struck by that, that it's not, yeah, it's not a personal thing. It's we're coming together, a common father. But you, you alluded to something, and, and it's interesting you said that Jesus dared say this, but that's when the priest at Mass, when mm. uh, he, the priest introduces the Our Father, he says, uh, we dare to say. And, and that's that's kind of an interesting that that when, and again, I think this is why I'm looking forward to do this with the Our Father is because we just do it, we do it every time we pray the rosary, we do it every yep. time we go to mass, we do it every time we do the chaplet of our mercy, we just, it's just kind of, you say the Our Father, but but to really take a moment to step back and, and, and reflect and pray about what we're saying, but that, that the church, the official words of the church say we dare to say that there's yeah. something courageous about praying like this. So. Uh, I think it's a great blessing for us to be able to spend the next many weeks uh, unpacking what we're praying, and, and maybe by the end of it, we've got a deeper understanding of, of what it is we're trying to do and what it is we're actually saying. So it should be great. Yeah, that idea of that boldness, that audacity, and yeah. we hope certainly as we kind of continue to dig and unpack this beautiful prayer, that we would realize how the words that come out of our mouth with all these petitions are just shocking. Yeah. And, you know, who gives you the right to say this? Yeah. Well, that's why it's called the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Like no, no human would have written this prayer. I mean, obviously well, Jesus bold. was fully human and, you know, divine. But like in that sense, like nobody else would have the right to say this is a good way to pray except the Son, yeah. except God himself. And what's glorious about it is it is this idea of Jesus, how do you pray? Oh, well, let me tell you, this is how I pray yeah. as fully God and fully man. And these are the words we use. And that is why the church puts this prayer in such prime locations, such prime real estate. You know, the Liturgy of the Hours always ends, not with a Hail Mary, and, and Our Father. Um, you know, the moment you mention in the liturgy, where do we pray the Our Father? It's at that moment of the consecration, we say amen. And now Christ is on the altar before us. And what do we do as a community of faith? We dare to say, our Father. It's like, it's almost like the first things that we want Jesus to hear on the altar, yeah, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. You know, is this prayer, because the whole liturgy is a prayer to the Father from the Son. So what more perfectly could we say after the amen, except 
our Father who art in heaven. And maybe one last little comment about it that I really like, you know, this idea of art in heaven. Um, the Catechism says this, the biblical expression of God being in heaven isn't so much trying to convey that God isn't here. Like, it, you know, our Father so who art in heaven isn't- a place. Right, it's not a place. It's not like we're addressing an envelope and it's like our Father, heaven, 43952, right? It's it's actually a comment, of course, because he'd be in our zip code at Steubenville, Ohio. Um, but I love, uh, this is a quote from Augustine. Our Father who art in heaven is rightly understood to mean that God is in the hearts of the just as in his holy temple. At the same time, it means that those who pray should desire the one they invoke to dwell in them. And this refers to the kingdom of heaven being among us as Jesus proclaimed so frequently. This idea that we do want to acknowledge by saying God is in heaven, the majesty of God, you know, the immensity of God, the holiness of God, the eternity of God, and a God who dwells in our hearts, and a God who dwells in our midst. No, and, and, and so it, as we begin to, oh, go ahead. Isn't that exactly what Christ did? Is, is he brings, he, he tears away this veil, he brings heaven on earth. Yes. I mean, that's part of the, the petition we're eventually going to get to. Yeah, yeah, and that's the whole actually movement of the entire prayer. So when next you pray, our Father who art in heaven, think of your adoption, your spiritual adoption that was won for you through the blood of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated in Easter. Think of the hour of it, the brothers and sisters we have who are Catholic, who call themselves Christian, the, the right of the baptized, and just the glory and majesty of God who is eternal and yet lives in our heart. That's the attitude that Jesus tells us we need to have before we get to the petitions, mm -hmm. this humble recognition of a God who wants to be intimate with us, who is ever present and particularly present in our hearts and wants to unite us together as his people, as his family, before we ask for one single thing. Amen. 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 On that note, Lord, that we would this week uh, experience all of that, that you are our Father and you see us and you notice, you notice us and you draw us closer to yourself. May the Lord bless all those listening, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week, Bob. Hey, thank you, Father Dave, and thank you, all of you who continue to listen. We are praying that Easter joy is abundant in your hearts and lives and praying for any ways you might be suffering or struggling. If you'd like to, shoot us an email, hope at franciscan.edu, with prayer requests or stories of hope, hope at franciscan.edu. God bless. Yeah.